start over because I didn't hit record. All right. Jesus, we just thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to spend together today um, back in Ramsey. We just ask that as we dive into your life, how you taught your viewpoint on things, um, how that changes our viewpoint on the world today, that each of us just has fresh perspective on life, the scriptures, uh, being your hands and feet, being a church community together. Now through our talk today, through our discussion, through our prayers and our time together, that each of us just feels closer to one another and closer to you. Uh, really just help unite us as a community, give each person what they need, that those who have shown up today, uh, each of us needs something a little different, and we just thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit, the person sitting next to them, us as a community, will just be able to uh, be that for each and every one of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Yeah, so good to see you all. We have got uh, Sarah... And Anna Luna are our um, new kind of regular kids workers, just so you know their names and get to know them. They're amazing ladies. Um, There's also a wireless speaker in there that sounds much better than last year's. So if you do have a kid who needs mom or dad a little more and you got to go in there, you can just turn it up more than it is now and listen. And hopefully it's working well it was beforehand. Um, Yeah. I want to talk today, and not just today, but the next, like, few weeks, we're going to do a series on on Jesus and how he taught, not just his life and how he lived, although there's going to be some of that, but what did Jesus teach us, how did Jesus teach, what did he use, what Old Testament scriptures did he reference, Um, why parables more than commandments, that kind of stuff we're going to get into, because it really starts to shape a lens uh, of looking at scriptures, the world, our own lives, being community together in a way that um, we don't specifically dive into enough and need to. It reflects on how we live as Bloom, how we change so many things. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as like a filter, a lens, a decoder, um, a viewpoint that changes how we read scripture, interpret things specifically, because I really used to struggle with the Old and the New Testament contradicting each other, it seemed, at many times. Like, there just seemed to be two different stories, and I uh, heard horrible examples of why they were different. Well, God was angry until Jesus, and now he's softened up, or some lame, like... It, it Honestly, I remember having conversations over coffee or beers with friends where Jesus sounds like a schiz... Or not Jesus, but God sounds like a schizophrenic. Like, one day he's happy, one day it's lightning bolts, the next day he's like, I will murder everyone. You're just like, what the... What is going on here? How do you, like... This doesn't make sense to me. It really was confusing and um, really even got me to the point where the questions I was asking drove me, well, thank God I had mentors and people in my life that I found grace and, and Jesus more through this, which provided a filter, but it really got me to the place where even questioning some of this because there are contradictions in Scripture. And so how do we view that? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? What do we do? Why is it there? Um, and then if we look at the behavior of the followers of Jesus, that ranges all over the board as well. And that can tick me off even more than the scriptures seeming like it, it contradicts. And so we've got one church that is protesting and picketing or shooting or blowing up things. And we've got another one who is marching for peace and whatever. There just seems to be 
Even the church seems to be on opposite ends of things. And how does Jesus change all this for us? Uh, I don't know if you can relate to ever feeling this way or still feeling this way or being confused. I know some of you do. I won't look you in the eyes right now so everyone will know who you are. But um, I know some of you relate. Uh, one, like A few of the contradictions that I want us to think about when, we're, when we get into this, just kind of have this in the back of your mind, is... Um, like, let's take violence in the Old Testament versus Jesus. Let's look at things um, like uh, the Old Testament seems to talk a ton about like just getting more and more fields and more and more servants and more and more, just more and more everything. And then Jesus is like, it's not about storing up all this stuff. It's if you've got two coats, give one away. It's, he seems to be the complete opposite. These are just two of many. We can get into more in discussion. But let's just use those as kind of frameworks as we go through today. Um, and I guess if there's, since someone's new today, what to expect, we'll do about a 20-minute teaching if I'm lucky here, although my clock is already saying 15. I must have clicked something early. And 20-minute um, discussion, we'll do a time of communion and worship, and then we do prayer circles at Bloom, which is a big part of our community, um, circles of eight, just saying what we're thankful for and what we're praying for. Anyway, the Jesus-centered principle, um, or Jesus lens. I wanted a big telescope or like a decoder ring, but we'll get into that. <laughs> I always have these like grandeur ideas for props, and then it gets to Sunday, and I was like, where did the week go? Like, what just happened? And I know you can all relate to that. Um, but what or whose teaching do we follow if we see contradictions in Scripture, biblical instruction? Um, what ethic, what stances, where, what do we uphold? Do we follow Jesus' teaching and just, is, do we throw away anything that doesn't match? Is there a way to have both at the same time? Like, what are we going into? And so the Jesus-centered principle, I, I really want us to look at that, that Jesus being something completely new that is reinterpreting the way that we've read Scripture. And he's like a lens or a decoder in which we should really apply to all Scripture. Because He's the clearest picture, Scripture says, that we have of what God is like, and we'll get into these in text as well. In Jesus, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form, and Jesus embodied and modeled all that God intends humanity to look like, us to follow after him. Um, we're definitely not saying that every biblical author had the Jesus lens as they were writing, because obviously he was a glimpse, a, a prophetic idea in the Old Testament. Um, and to be most of the New Testament writers weren't even quite sure if they're, they didn't know it was going to be combined into uh, the Bible at the same time as well. Uh, nor does every single scripture point to Jesus. Jesus, we see him clarifying so many things. A lot of his life on earth, and we'll get into that in the next few weeks, is he's reinterpreting scripture and showing us where we may have missed how something was read or how to see it more clearly or how to do these things. And it really revolves around all this. And so any portrayal of God, especially, that we see in scriptures, what, what God, his nature, what he wants from us, what's going on, if we're not looking at that through the lens of Jesus and does it mesh, is Jesus saying the same thing, then maybe that was an outdated, blurry, skewed version of God that Jesus is bringing clarity to. And not just maybe, I'm asserting that it, it completely is and that we need to use Jesus as this lens. Does anyone remember uh, a Christ Christmas story? That's the one with Ralphie, right? 
Who hasn't seen, well, you all have got to have seen Christmas Story. If you haven't, you need to watch it this Christmas. He's so excited for that secret Annie decoder ring that comes in the mail, and he gets to the bathroom, and he's like, tongue gets stuck to the pole. Yeah, he's in the bathroom, and his brother's got a pee. He's knocking on the door, Ralphie, get out. And he's like trying to decode this secret message because he finally got his ring, and it's like an advertisement for Ovaltine. And he's super ticked. He's like, a crummy advertisement. He's been waiting for this decoder so he could figure out what the heck's been said every time, and it's just bunk. Well, I hear a lot of people talk about Christianity, the opposite of that. It seems like it's an infomercial, and we don't understand it because we're not looking at Jesus like the decoder ring. Like, no, 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 you're not, this is, you're skewing this completely off. This is saying something different than it is. It's not, you're, even the scriptures say, even with Jesus, we're still seeing through like a foggy mirror or window, like it's, and this is the best clarity we can have, and so why not use the best clarity? Why would you describe Jupiter from just eyesight, just human eyesight, looking at the stars, that little dot that every once in a while someone says is actually a planet out there, or would you look at these NASA photos that have come back? There just was a new uh, set of satellite photos this last week that came out of the rings, and I'm like, oh, this is... It is beautiful and amazing. So why would you not use that? Why would you not use that lens to see and describe? But if you don't have it, could you imagine trying to describe it to someone else? Like it's just completely skewed. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to Jesus. And so 1 Corinthians 1.15 says, He, being Jesus, is the exact image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the eternal. Um, the exact image, Yeah. What was that? Colossians, thank you. Colossians 1.15. Um, I see a C. It just goes there. I apologize. So Paul's writing to the church at Colossa, and he's, he's telling them that Jesus is their clearest picture of God. And so these teachings, this way of life that Jesus, this, the way that even the followers of him are trying to bring his ideas, this this kingdom of heaven being among us, this living together in unity, this, his command of loving each other as Jesus has loved us, as he has loved us. Like these are, these are transformational things, but they're not just that. They're also a lens that starts to clarify other things we've read, we've seen, we don't understand. When we're looking at, again, violence, Jesus is telling uh, these guys to, to, to love their enemy, and he's healing the people who've come to murder him and saying he forgives them instantly, and he's not about bringing the sword or destroying people, or he's, and we'll see this in a verse later, even the disciples getting it wrong and Jesus correcting them, yet we see so many verses about God in the Old Testament, but there's also glimpses of completely the opposite of that. If we're looking at Jonah, is uh, God starting to redefine, like, I'm not in this to destroy peoples and to have vengeance that is bloodshed. And so obviously some viewpoint of God was skewed along the way, and we're starting to see a clear uh, picture. Theologians will call it the trajectory of Scripture. Like it starts in a primitive place, and we start to understand more and more and more about God. And Jesus is our clearest picture then. And so why are we not always using him as the lens at which we're reading or living out our life? Now, we might be doing this, but we still need to talk about it and get this down deep because it's so important. Um, The next is Colossians 2. I said it right that time. Colossians 2 was our reading for the day. I'm sorry I didn't get to put it up till a couple days ago online. 
Uh, you might want to go back and read this whole chapter. It is filled with amazing stuff. But he starts out at two, and he's, I have no idea what I am bumping or hitting. I apologize. I'm going to move this to here, and hopefully that will not do that anymore. Um, he says, this battle that I'm facing is huge. And what I want, uh, and what I want you to know, oh, sorry. Luke is not doing good. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, let me start over. I'm going to read from here because it's, I don't know when to click if it's not. This battle I'm facing is huge, and I want you to know I do it for you, for all those at Laodicea, and for everyone else, even those whom I've never seen, that have never seen my face. I'm working hard to comfort and to encourage them so they will be knit together that, that many hearts would become one through his love. Next one here. I do it so that they will be rich in understanding and have the full knowledge of all God's mercy, which is the anointed one himself. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are concealed. So there's this mystery that's concealed in Jesus, a mystery that they've talked about all through the scriptures, this mystery that keeps being alluded to, talked about, referenced. There's a mystery. And this mystery is concealed in Jesus himself. It's other translations use revealed here. He, he shows us something that's this deep even misunderstanding because it's a mystery for so many. Uh, verse 6, it goes on. You know what? I'm going to hit mute on the rest of these things just in case something else is. I'm sorry. That is. I don't think it's my microphone. So everything else is muted now. All right. I apologize. All right, we jump down to verse 6. He says, Now that you have welcomed the Anointed One, Jesus the Lord, into your lives, continue to journey with Him and allow Him to shape your lives. Let your roots grow down deeply in Him and let Him build you up on a firm foundation. Be strong in the faith just as you were taught and always spill over with thankfulness. Make sure no predator makes you his prey through some misleading philosophy and empty deception based on traditions fabricated by mere mortals. These are sourced in the elementary principles originating in this world and are not in the anointed one. So don't let their talks capture you. You see, all that is God, all his fullness, resides in his body. And it keeps talking about Jesus here. It's capitalized. It's only talking. Oh, man. Is that what it is? Thank you. Oh, all that, and it's the beard. All right. Nice perception. You see all that is God and his fullness resides in his, Jesus' body. You too are being completed in him. I know, it's getting unruly. <laughs> all right. We're being completed in Jesus. He is the fullness. The fullness of God resides in him. The fullest picture, and not just the fullest picture, but the fullest God. And he's fully human, is where we'll get into next, where we're talking about He's this example of, of living this life of trust and peace and love and acceptance. And so we start seeing the scriptures uh, tell us that, it, that there's something new here that we need to see when it comes to Jesus. It's not just that he, that he changed the scope and forgiven us and so we get to live free. He's changed so much stuff that we've seen differently. And not just that we've read differently or that we understood differently. A mystery that is now revealed. It was on purpose even a mystery at times or just we weren't evolved as a uh, society yet to be able to handle it. Uh, some mistakes you need to make 
It says that we needed to try doing it on our own, to see that there's no way that we can become perfect on our own. We needed to see that, that it was impossible without God, without his help, without this forgiveness and grace. And so we're stubborn. And I know that there's many of you that can relate to, you will not believe someone says you can't do it until you fall on your face. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. Maybe I should have listened to Wakua and done it the other way. Shoot. Um, uh, but Jesus is, um, so Colossians is not the only part that puts this. Hebrews 1 in the voice talks about um, God's voice coming to our ancestors, but in these last days it's come through his son Jesus, the one who's been given dominion over all things and through whom all the worlds were made. And this one, Jesus, who's imprinted with God's image, is shimmering with his glory and sustains all that exists through the power of his word. He was seated at the right hand of God, and he himself has made the offering that has purified us from our sins. Um, Hebrews goes into it, and then even Jesus we see in John 14, 7. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. Rest assured, you know him and you have seen him. If we look at Jesus, if we read about him, if we spend time with him, it is all we need to know about the divine we see Jesus interpreting scripture, like I was saying. We see it, this really clear in his um, Sermon on the Mount. He starts going into these old passages and, and giving us a clear view of what we're talking about here. And some of them he's even redefining as even harder, but he's getting to the matter like uh, the murder, thou shalt not murder. He starts going into it. He's, it's not just about not murdering. He's like, it's about your thought life. He's like, if you're even thinking about your brother or your friend and ill thoughts, he's like, you're already murdering them in your heart. He's like, this is... This is how we're treating other people. This isn't just life and death. This is everyday life. This is how we're living. This is more than just a command saying, don't do this. This is how are we looking at one another? How are we treating one another? He's taking things to a greater degree, things we didn't understand. He's telling us parts of the lies, like, uh, like the Sabbath day, they're getting mad because someone ate or healed or did something on the Sabbath. They're always ticked about him doing something on the Sabbath. And he's like, the Sabbath wasn't made for God, for some rule just to be out there, but it was made for humans to help us out to have a day of rest, so why are you turning it into something beyond that? He's, these things have been made to help us out, and so he's, he's assuring and teaching, and people are riveted by what he's saying. At the same time, people who were really strict and wanted it just to be about this are ticked. They're pissed. They're ready to kill him at every moment. They tried stoning him so many times. He escapes barely uh, until the end when it was his time. He... He, he dies because of anger of not just changing some of the rules or lending perspective on it, but his loving people and accepting people, his treatment of Sumerians who were just, to the Jews of the day, were ignorant, fill in the expletive. Uh, it's, it's, it's starting to change everything. And so he's, he's explaining these scriptures in ways that, that were really taught and, and everyone knew as a Jewish perspective what they meant and he's like, yeah, you might not know exactly what we're talking about here. So everyone's like, whoa, rabbis have been teaching this, priests have been teaching this for generations. Like how can you come and say it's something more than that? Um, and so this Jesus lens is starting to change all this kind of stuff. Um, He's the clearest picture. He's the fullness. The fullness of God lives in his bodily form. He's embodied and modeled all that God intends humanity to be. Um, he, he reveals to us what it's like to walk 
in love. Not even just love, but not even in this dimension. He says the kingdom of heaven is among us. And how do we walk in that? How do we usher it in? And not just enjoy it for ourselves, but invite someone else into this. These are new paradigm shifts for people. This is something completely new. There was no kingdom of heaven is already here before Jesus. He's helping open people's perspectives to something new in a um, loving but really radical way because it's really counter to so much of what they believe. And to be honest, it still is counter to so much of what I hear taught, read, that's out there. Jesus is still counterculture to a lot of church dogma that we have today. And so are we using him as a lens? Are we letting him be our teacher? Are we following Jesus? Or is Jesus not the pinnacle and it's something else? It's the teachers that we like, how they interpret scriptures or different things like that. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 says, imitate Jesus, the anointed one. Uh, John 20, 21, um, Jesus says, I give you the gift of peace in the same way that the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm now demonstrating this and I'm sending you out there. You are my hands and feet. At one point he says, I'm entru- it's better that I go because I'm entrusting all of this to you, which is a crazy thought that he's like, it's better that I'm not even here and that all of you just have my spirit in you and I'm, I'm trusting you. Yes, you're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to whatever, but follow me. Follow God. Follow my spirit. Follow my teaching. Use me as a lens to how you're viewing the world, your neighbor, the scriptures. And he's like, you're going to see something radical come. It's amazing he uses peace first. He's like, peace I give you. He gives this gift of peace. And he's like, but yeah, but now you're me. And I send you out to do this. But let this peace be your guard. And it's not just your peace. We're called to be peacemakers. It's this sending out peace. And so he's radically redefined um, at least 50 to 100, if not more, verses in Psalms alone that are like, please destroy everyone who doesn't like me and just send a fiery rain from heaven that just obliterates anyone who's not on my side. And I feel these things at times. You're driving, and I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but something has changed in the Twin Cities in the last two weeks. We've never had amazing drivers, but the last two weeks, it is like, I don't know where they've come from. I don't know if it's, I think everybody is just okay with bad driving. And so I'm like, Jesus, I need your peace. I need to be a peacemaker. I do not want to throw something at this car or hit them. And I'm on my bicycle half the time. So I'm like ready to just like bike lock through the window. Just go for it. As I'm trying to just enjoy the breeze and go. And uh, we won't get into that more. Okay. One stoplight I was at, it turns green. And I'm with a bunch of cars waiting to go green. I counted 12 cars that continued to go well after the light was red. Like, there was, okay, I think we're good, and we can, there's a pause now. We can all start going, boom, 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 another five. Just, the guy in front of me is doing it. I'll do it, too. Like, this is cool. We'll just go whatever. They're not using the Jesus lens that says, prefer the people who are on your left who've got the green light to be able to go. See how I turn that back? A rant. And uh... So how does the Jesus-centered principle help us? Um, if we're getting back to the, the thought on, on violence, no longer do we have to wonder uh, these things. He's made it really clear. There is no uncertainty in the way Jesus talks if you look at his life and what he taught on the use of violence. We are not to... Um, uh, he even talks about uh, not coming after wrongs that are done to you. Or if your brother wrongs you, don't take him to court and sue him. Try to work it out outside of it, and if you can't, just forgive him and let it go. There's this passivity that he, uh, he says is a better way. If we practice this, it will usher in 
his love, the kingdom of heaven, a peace like we've never understood. And it's counterculture. It's counterhuman. You're just like, no, I've got to defend myself. This idiot, 10 cars ran the light like they didn't see me. They cut me off. Where they did see me, they cut me off. I should be able to put my bike lock through the window. It just makes sense. Um, uh, there's so much beauty in what he's teaching, but at the same time, it's, it, there's a flair you feel when you read it because it's so counter to even just how we think we're wired. But if we think of everything that Jesus teaches about us, this is not who we were made to be. We don't start out being this mess that isn't wired this way. We've been made in God's image. Remember, we've talked about that word teshuva, the Hebrew word for repentance, meaning return to goodness. You've been made in the image of God. We've just lose track of that. We lose sight of that. We get into human, animalistic nature, societal, the territorial protection things, and we forget this is not who we are. This is why there's a peace. There's an understanding. There's something amazing that happens when we start to follow these practices because it's who you've been created to be. There's something that resonates on your core that says, this is me. This makes sense. This is, this is what I've been looking for. This is where life starts to get easy. Um, the danger of, of Jesus not being our interpretive key in the sense of, like, let's say, violence again. We see over and over and over, I googled and just couldn't believe how many times throughout the past centuries uh, Christians have really used Old Testament teachings as like a cause to pick up arms. And we're talking outside of the Crusades and outside of even just American news media, things that maybe predated when we were paying attention to what was going on. It's this, nope, we... These aborigines aren't Christians, we're just going to wipe them all out, and it's no big deal. And we don't hear about it, because it wasn't that big a deal, because the aborigines aren't blogging or writing whatever, and a lot of times money is attached to it too, and um, you know, Jesus said, gather as much as you can in your barns, fill them up, you can take them to heaven with you, like just keep, no matter how many people you kill, you just keep the money coming. No, it's, it's backwards, and it should cause us to think about how we're doing these things. Um, but we see these, these Christian leaders, and I was going to give some examples, but I didn't want to say names, even though most of them are dead, the examples I had. But they're using examples from Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Israelites to justify an ethical stance of, of killing whoever doesn't believe the same thing they believed in or was against them or self-defense or whatever they want to call it. It's, but they're using the Bible as this example, and they're not using Jesus as a lens to maybe there's something bigger here going on. And Jesus rebukes his disciples for this with the same thing. Um, in, uh, this is it, right? It is not, I guess I, hold on. In Luke 9, 52 through 56, um, it says, He sent people ahead of him into the territory of the Samaritans, a minority group at odds with the Jewish majority. And he wanted his messengers to find a place for them to stay in a village alongside the road. But the Samaritans realized that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and so they refused to welcome him. These Samaritans and the Jerusalem folk, they do not get along at all. They hated each other because they worshiped on the wrong mountain. Better reason or not to hate each other. Uh, and so they find out Jesus is headed there, and his dest- final destination is not with them, and they're like, just don't let him stay here. And so no big deal. Wipe the dust off your feet is what Jesus says. We'll just keep moving to the next town. Here's what the disciples say. James and John Uh, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people who have rejected you, just as Elijah did? So they're looking at the Old Testament. Boom. Elijah would, what would Elijah do if he was here? W-W-E-D. 
fire from heaven. That's what we're going to do. And Jesus turns to them and he shakes his head and he says, you don't get it. One translation says, what spirit, you don't understand the spirit you're operating from here. And he says, the son of man didn't come to ruin the lives of people. He came to liberate them. So even his disciples are looking at the Old Testament scriptures and being like, dude, Elijah would have called fire down. Let's do it. This sounds perfect right now. And he's like, you you don't understand the spirit you're operating from here. And, And they're quoting Elijah, they're looking back. to He's our example. He's the great priest. Like, why wouldn't we do it his way? And Jesus is like, this is, this is a better way. You've walked with me all this time, and you're still missing. And so we're going to miss it sometimes. We're going to miss this, and we've got to keep being reminded and remind each other, is this how Jesus would do it? Yeah, the Bible might say that, but what, does Jesus say something different? If he just keeps quiet, maybe that's still relevant, but if he's completely saying the opposite thing, maybe he's shedding light on something that wasn't understood good, and we need to be like, okay, maybe... Maybe the fire from heaven prayer isn't what I should be doing right now. Maybe it should be something different here. Maybe I should be praying for myself if I'm the one wanting to be Elijah right now sending fire down. Uh, But if we're not using this, it's so easy to slip into the weeds and to start going on the wrong way. If you're questioning something in scriptures, if you're questioning something you read, if you're questioning a way of our lifestyle or how to live out and do something, um, what are Jesus' thoughts on this stuff? It's easy. We can ask someone from the church if you don't know. Does Jesus say something different? You can Google this crap. Like, what are Jesus' thoughts on dot, 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 and fill in the blank, and you will get pages and pages of his stuff. And yeah, you might get nine verses that say one thing and one that says the other, and so you've got to wrestle a little bit. Like, okay, does this, what's the context here? What's going on? But are we taking the time to do that, or are we just winging all this because we just think so? Hitler quoted the Bible so many times. And so it's, it's, you can't just pick a verse and think it's going to take you where you want to go. There's, there's a lens, there's an interpretation we need, and we've been given this clue into how things are so much more. Um, at the end of Colossians 2, this chapter we were reading this week, it says, don't let anyone stand in judgment over you and dictate what you should eat or what you should drink or what festivals you should celebrate, or how you should observe the new moon or the Sabbath days. These are all just a shadow of what shall come. The reality of the core, the import, is found in the anointed one. We've got to keep him as the center. All this other stuff, how to celebrate, what to do, what to eat, he's like, if you're following Jesus, if he's at your core, if he's that center, he's like, that stuff will shake itself out. It'll work out. But he's like, we spend so much time in those weeds. Like, what do we do? How do we not do it? What's right? What's wrong? And we're forgetting this lens, this Jesus, this following. Work of Jesus community here. These are focus. No judging, no politics, just Jesus. We're trying to get out of the weeds and have this clarity. But if we're not talking about it, if we're not giving you guys the tools, the verses, something to chew on, something to think differently about this week, are we doing it right? Uh, so many churches close or are divided because of ridiculous theological debates that if they just would have came together and looked at Jesus and be like, oh, but Jesus says this. Are we going to be a Jesus community or are we going to be an Elijah community that rains fire down on these people groups? Some of this stuff would have been worked out a lot easier. I think it's great that we have discussion because I think a lot of times this stuff, we learn, we grow, we get each other's perspectives there, and we need to be doing that kind of stuff. We need to have that safety there to share hard thoughts, ideas, questions about what's going on. It keeps us together, it keeps us unified, and it really the more diverse these discussions go and the questions, it's not that we're off on some page, it's, it's, it's a greater understanding and a, a deeper dive into everything that's going on around us. Again, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be looking at um, 
Jesus using parables, not commands. He gives one command, and the rest is parables. And he, he quotes scripture, but he uses parables more than anything else. And why? What does parables tell us? How is that empowering and inviting us into finding the answer instead of just giving it? How does that lend to how we're doing church here as Bloom? Um, Jesus and this idea of loving our enemies in four ways that he clearly does it that seem radical, but inspiring to each of us. The ways he in- interpreted scripture. When he reread things, Jesus didn't quote the Old Testament exactly. He would leave out certain portions, certain words when he was reading it. And why? What, what did that say? What was he showing us by those things? Uh, and when Jesus did quote the Old Testament, what was he saying? What verses was he using? What books was he going to? And what does that tell us about living life? This is the stuff we're going to get into. But let's pray quick and go into discussion and see what we can find out. Uh, Jesus, we need your help. You are the lens, the decoder ring um, to life, to the scriptures, to this community together. And we just ask that we would see things through your teachings, that we would be inspired to read them, to chew on them, to wrestle with them, to talk about them, to find you in life and to let that change ideas that we've held on to, maybe even tightly held on to or are cemented in us that are contrary to who you are and to living this life of peace and freedom and ushering in the kingdom of heaven. So we just ask that right now that even hearing these scriptures and these conversations would just start to melt away those old thoughts and open us up into your love and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.